to you. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 11 tonight. We'll look to finish the book. We didn't quite get through uh, chapter, uh, all the way through chapter 11 last week. That was by design and uh, because of reasons I'll explain in a moment. If you're with us tonight and you are without a Bible, just wave to one of these guys coming up the aisles. You will be lost tonight uh, without a Bible, uh, something to not only hear the Word, but then also to see it with your own eyes. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from us to you uh, this evening. As we head into this uh, final uh, section of the book of Daniel, uh, last uh, week as we were together, very technical but very marvelous and wonderful section of Scripture that we were uh, looking at. And uh, it's always good to re remember that as we deal with these prophetic books uh, in the Bible, that uh, if you get lost along the way, that's not a problem. Uh, just absorb what it is that you can absorb, learn, and uh, uh, and then the next time you'll hear it, you'll absorb another layer of it, and then pretty soon it'll all be so clear to you. But don't, uh, don't give up or get frustrated because uh, you can't quite understand uh, uh, everything. None of us understands everything, but uh, just as an encouragement. We want to pick things up in verse uh, 36 this evening in chapter 11. We remember that chapters 10 and 11 and 12 constitute a single prophecy. Uh, that was uh, a vision given to Daniel, uh, chapter 10, uh, giving us the events that occurred in his life prior to the receiving of the vision, and then chapter 11 uh, into, slightly into uh, chapter 12, the vision itself, and then chapter 12 closes off with some uh, ending kind of uh, addendums related to the vision that he had received, and then a kind of a close to the book is, is a, a whole. Again, the key to understanding this final vision of the book of Daniel is found in uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 14, where uh, Daniel is told, Now I have come by the angel of the Lord. I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people, the Jewish people, uh, in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. And so once again, the emphasis, as we'll see it in the passage tonight, that this uh, vision has uh, everything to do with the Jewish people. And if we, don't, if we try to put the church in the middle of this vision and, and, uh, and the intentions of it, then uh, we'll end up putting the church in the middle of the tribulation period. The tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period, is a time known as uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob being the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. That is about uh, a, a very, very hard school of hard knocks in order for the Jewish people as well as uh, the uh, uh, overwhelming majority of the Gentile world coming uh, to the realization that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah and uh, intended to be every person's Savior and every person's uh, Lord. And so, uh, as we've seen uh, last time, much of this vision that was given to Daniel has been fulfilled in the past, in the history of the 130-year series of wars known as the Syrian Wars. 
associated with the Seleucid Kingdom and also the uh, Ptolemites, also the Persian Empire, the, the Alexander the Great, the conquest and, uh, that, that came in uh, uh, human history following this prophecy that God had given uh, to Daniel. With verse 36, that word then is a significant word. Uh, the prophecy shifts gears. And it appears that at this particular point in time, the prophecy moves away from uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was that horrible, horrible leader of, uh, of the Seleucids in the ancient world, and that we talked about so much about last time, uh, and uh, moving away from him and his reign to now uh, the description of a, a biblical personage uh, of whom Antiochus Epiphanes is a type, and that is uh, the individual known, commonly known as the uh, Antichrist. The reason that uh, people believe, and the Bible scholars believe, that a shift occurs there in verse uh, 36 is for a couple of reasons, and um, I th it, one of which is that while virtually all Bible scholars recognize that uh, in chapter 11, verses uh, 21 to 35, that they were perfectly fulfilled in the person of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, there is also very widespread recognition that the events that are described now from uh, verse 36 on into uh, verse 4 of chapter 12, that the, those events do not match the life and the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, which leads most people to believe that another historical figure has been introduced into the vision at this particular uh, point in time who is going to play a very significant role in the, the history of the Jewish people uh, in the latter days. And it is a very important to notice that the, uh, in, in uh, verses 30, 11, 36, chapter 11, verse 36 to 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 4, that they are framed by an identical phrase. And the phrase is uh, the time of the end. And uh, there in verse 35 of chapter 11, you see the time of the end referred to. Uh, and uh, then again in chapter 12, verse 4, uh, it is referred to once again. And so it seems to frame now uh, moving into the, a very far fulfillment here. This, this prophecy now, this individual having to do with Jewish history all the way to the end of uh, of the age, the period immediately preceding the second coming uh, of Jesus Christ. And so the personage described here uh, is the Antichrist, again of whom Antiochus Epiphanes was a precursor or a kind of a, a, a type. All of this uh, seems to strongly indicate that the ruler uh, who is uh, being described here, uh, framed by this phrase, the time of the end, indicates that this ruler will be alive at the uh, end of human history immediately prior to Jesus' second coming. And as we'll see, the description that is given here uh, to us concerning the Antichrist that lines up with everything else that the Bible teaches 
earlier in the book of Daniel, also in the book of Revelation, also in the book of 2 Thessalonians, all of it consistent with a, a uniform biblical portrait of the Antichrist that is found uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, it might uh, very well be that this person, the Antichrist, uh, is uh, because he's already been introduced in the book of Daniel in chapter 7, again in chapter 9, uh, that uh, here as the prophecies being given, uh, there, uh, we're expected to recognize his reintroduction into, uh, the, uh, into the book without a, a formal uh, introduction here. So we begin here in verse 36 with this portrait of the future uh, Antichrist. And the Antichrist will come on the scene. Um, the book of Revelation teaches that the breaking of the first seal, which is the very first of a series of judgments that will occur during the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period, is the unveiling of this Antichrist. Uh, who will become the uh, leader of a world-ruling empire out of the old Roman Empire during that seven-year uh, tribulation uh, period. And so here is the description of him for, as a Christian. Uh, as I heard one Bible teacher uh, say uh, concerning himself, and I uh, certainly am in that camp, uh, I am absolutely a, a pre-tribulation uh, rapturist. And I'm so pre-trib, I won't eat post-toasties. Uh, okay. uh, but, uh, but that's a whole discussion that you can go into the library of the studies on, that are online to just look at the rapture and, and see the biblical rationale for all of that. But uh, because that's the view that I think the Bible teaches on, on all of it, and very, very strongly teaches it, uh, we will not see uh, because he constitutes the initiation of the wrath of God that is the, uh, the, the, uh, the, that is poured out on the world during the tribulation period. We, have to, we are not appointed under wrath as Christians. We will be gone before that first seal and that unveiling uh, occurs. And, but the description is given of the Antichrist here uh, because, again, it's written supremely to the Jews. Uh, not to us. It is a vision for your people, Daniel, uh, the Jewish people, who by and large have rejected Jesus Christ uh, as the Messiah and uh, thus will uh, miss the rapture of the church and uh, be deceived by and large by the Antichrist and uh, it will be their own painful way to come to recognize him as their promised Messiah. So here is the description uh, of this Antichrist. Then the king, uh, uh, speaking of the Antichrist, shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. And so uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, he never did this. Antiochus Epiphanes did set up a statue uh, 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 to Greece. I mean, to Zeus, rather, in, in the uh, temple that he uh, conquered and his abominations, but uh, he never did exalt himself above every god. But this uh, Antichrist will come on the scene and will, will do this. And uh, again, perfectly matching Paul's description of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. If you're a note taker, I'll give you a bunch of verses to look up on your own tonight. 
So I won't have the time to go into all of them, but for your own uh, enjoyment and exploration. But Paul writes there and he says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, speaking of the tribulation period, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, that is the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition. And then here's the description that Paul gives to the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is uh, God. And so he will come on the scene, exalt and magnify himself above uh, every uh, God. We're told further in verse 36 that he shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods. And so he will uh, blaspheme uh, the Lord. And uh, from Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 6, uh, you can uh, tear into all of that for your pleasure, but allow me to read verses 5 and 6 of Revelation 13 to you, describing the Antichrist, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And uh, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his temple, and those who dwell in heaven. And this will be one of the chief characteristics of the Antichrist is that he will be a blasphemer uh, of the God uh, of the Bible. And, uh, and you look at how common and how accepted uh, the blasphemy, the insulting language that is directed toward the God uh, of the Bible, uh, it, it, how uh, much of that and how quickly it's increasing within our culture. And, and all of it is, is an indication of a culture and a world uh, being prepared uh, for the coming of the Antichrist. And uh, uh, to love him, uh, to love his blasphemies, to be this great charismatic leader who will be, lead them in the rebellion and overthrow what they think are all of the restrictions of this God of the Bible, and then ultimately to be deceived, uh, horribly deceived uh, by him. We're told further that he, uh, in verse 36, he shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what uh, has been determined shall be done. And uh, that's uh, God's way of saying that the Antichrist is a part of God's plan and the duration of his rule has been determined uh, by God. It's going to be for seven years. And, uh, and once it has accomplished God's purposes, then God will bring it uh, to an end. And so that tribulation period is a time to teach a Christ-rejecting world uh, in a very, very hard way uh, that if you reject uh, Jesus, you reject his word, you reject his truth, then you become uh, vulnerable uh, to deception and to astonishing deception. Once you reject the truth in any realm, then all you are left to believe in are deceptions. And that is true in the spiritual realm as well as any, any other uh, realm. And, and so they reject the truth, the spiritual truth that is found in God, that leaves them only deceptions to believe. And uh, Satan is a master of lies. He knows how to lie and deceive people and will leave them completely vulnerable to be seduced uh, by him. 
It was uh, G.K. Uh, uh, Chesterton who uh, wrote, when men choose not to believe in God, uh, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. Uh, they then become capable of believing in anything. And uh, that's precisely what is going to happen. Then in verse uh, 37, the description continues, he shall regard neither uh, the God of his fathers. And so uh, he will reject whatever religion is practiced by his ancestors. That phrase, the God of his fathers, is a uniquely Jewish term. And uh, so it is a... Uh, it, it, it perhaps reveals the fact, and in my mind almost certainly reveals the fact, uh, that the Antichrist will be a Jewish man, uh, and even the Jews uh, today who do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, it seems inconceivable to me that they would ever accept and then follow any, anyone other than a Jew, uh, to follow a Gentile, uh, and proclaim him to be uh, their Messiah. And so it, it does seem as if uh, uh, he will uh, uh, be of, uh, of Jewish descent, and uh, as is declared here. Nor uh, he shall not regard the desire of women there in verse 37 as well. Some of this have interpreted, uh, have interpreted this to mean that he will be uh, homosexual. It's entirely possible. But I think it's best to understand uh, this as a reference to uh, the Messiah. When it talks about the desire of women, especially in a Jewish context, and that's what's going on here, uh, a, pro a vision is being given to a Jewish prophet, and, uh, and so uh, the desire uh, of Jewish women was uh, the desire to give birth to the Jewish Messiah that had been promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, immediately following the fall of Adam and, and Eve. And that's why so many Jewish children were uh, named Joshua in the hopes that he would be the Messiah. And, uh, and the Old Testament prophet Haggai, he used this term uh, of the desire of women as a reference to Messiah. Haggai uh, chapter 2, verse 7 uh, God speaking, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations, speaking of Messiah, shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And so this king is going to hate God, uh, the Antichrist is, and he is going to hate God's uh, son. We're told further that he will exalt himself uh, above uh, them all, and uh, again, he's not going to regard any God, uh, and uh, which means he's going to oppose all religions and set himself up as the sole object of worship uh, during the tribulation uh, period. Again, that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, uh, where he's referred to as the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped in the world, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, brings out the same characteristic of, of the coming Antichrist, 
and all who dwell on the earth, we're told there, uh, will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We're told further in verse 38 that he will honor the God of fortresses, but in their place he will honor uh, a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant uh, things. And so uh, he will uh, honor uh, uh, the military power, military might. He will use military force as a means of threat. Uh, to to gain uh, the, uh, to get his way in 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 the world, uh, the old maximum maxim might makes right. He will follow that uh, to a T, and uh, and and so uh, his ancestors did not, we're told, uh, worship this god of military power, but he will. Uh, maybe another nod to uh, the the Jews and in a Jewish descent here. And he's going to spare no expense in funding uh, this military. Uh, it is amazing when uh, you think about what is going to happen in that battle in Ezekiel chapter 37, 38, 39, uh, and uh, uh, Gog, Magog, all of that, the weaponry that's going to be unleashed in that battle, and then what will happen at, at Armageddon, what will happen also in his use of military force. And uh, you constantly hear these people talking about that are in the know, but they can't tell you everything that they know, um, how fearsome uh, the weapons that have been developed uh, are today, that uh, unleashed in any way, uh, it's, it's going to be a horror uh, in, in the world when, uh, when that happens. We're told in verse 39, and thus he shall act against the strong, strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And so uh, he will act against the strongest fortresses with, with that uh, foreign God. He will, uh, in other words, he will glorify uh, Satan as the source of his power. Uh, his signs, his wonders, uh, his, uh, his uh, charisma are going to be supernatural. They're going to be dramatic. He is going to be a leader and a human being uh, uh, unlike any other in, in human history in, in terms of his ability to seduce in a, in a carnal way, and he will use all of it. Uh, the Antichrist will not be demon-possessed. He will be possessed by the devil himself. That's the raw concentration of demonic power that will exist in this human being uh, that is going to appear in human history. And he will use all of this power to lead people not into a worship of God, uh, of course, but lead them into the worship of Satan. Imagine how dark the world is going to become at that particular point uh, in time. The church removed, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the hindering, uh, you know, salt-like uh, preservation uh, that the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit brings to the world, all of that removed, everyone free to worship, uh, anything and everything without any kind of a hindrance and how dark and awful the world will become 
in, in, uh, uh, at that particular uh, point in time. Revelation chapter 13 verses 1 through 6 speaks to all of this. Let me read one verse, verse 4 to you, uh, to give you a, a how this is spoken about in, in not only the Old Testament but the New Testament. And uh, John writes there, For they worship the dragon, speaking of the devil, who gave authority to the beast, that is the Antichrist, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? And then in verse 39, the Antichrist, he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. So he will honor, I mean, the age-old way that rulers operate, he will enrich, he will give position, he will give power, authority uh, to anyone who uh, cooperates with him and, and helps him in, in his uh, designs. And so uh, these verses speak here of the, the first three and a half years of, uh, of the seven-year tribulation uh, uh, period going to be marked by his conquest of the world. And, uh, and then the world will be marked in that early three and a half years by peace and prosperity under his, his oversight. During the final three and a half years, uh, sell all your stock. Um, it, 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 don't be here, but uh, all bets are off at that particular point in time. And uh, the, his uh, world government is then going to be pounded by the, the sealed uh, uh, judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments, all of it as it's described in Revelation chapters 16, uh, 6 through uh, 18. Now, toward the end of this 70th seven, that takes us back to chapter 9, Seventy-sevens uh, are determined upon uh, your people, Daniel, the Jews. And so there's this one seven-year period uh, that is separate for the end of the age as is, is uh, God declared that to Daniel and that, that vision here. And so toward the end of this 70th seven, the seven-year tribulation period, uh, unrest. He's going to have a, he's, things are going to go like gangbusters for him for three and a half years. And then all of these judgments are going to come uh, 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 against him and the world that follows him. And, uh, and so the wheels are going to start to come off and the unrest is going to begin to occur in the world around him. Uh, there, uh, people will begin to rebel against his authority and his kingdom, his uh, final world ruling empire that he's kind of established. And until ultimately uh, open rebellion will break out against him. And that rebellion and the events that culminate in Jesus' second coming uh, are described to us in uh, chapter 11, verse 40 through 45. And at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. We'll come back and talk about what this represents in a moment. So he will be attacked by the king of the south. And the king of the north uh, shall come against him, uh, that is the Antichrist, come against the Antichrist like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, uh, and, uh, and the king of the north himself, that's the Antichrist, will come against this, this rebellion against him from the south. He will come like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, 
with many ships, and he shall enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through. And he shall also enter the glorious land in his invasion uh, there. Uh, he will uh, pass through the nation of, of Israel. Many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape uh, from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. And he will stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape uh, his wrath. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all of the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow uh, at his uh, heels. But then news from the east and from the north shall trouble him. And therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious uh, holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. And uh, so there's this military struggle that's going to characterize the end of the age, these are the events that are going to lead up to the battle of Armageddon, which culminates in Jesus' second uh, coming, and uh, which brings an end to the seven-year tribulation period. You notice in verse 40 that the Antichrist will be attacked from the south. Uh, the, the first part of the world that not re rebels against his uh, reign will come uh, from Africa at the time uh, of the end. And so it will be an African army that will be uh, led uh, by Egypt, as we're told in verses 20, 42 and 43. Uh, it will uh, be an army that will be larger than Egypt's army. Uh, looks like, uh, like the, what is being described here is a military force that will involve Egypt, uh, Libya, Ethiopia, and uh, Sudan. Uh, as these nations are referred to by by their ancient names in the in the text, and maybe even with a uh, all of them then uh, being added to their numbers in terms of the rebellion, maybe a larger Arab uh, alliance in light of the fact that only the area of Jordan escapes his wrath when the Antichrist comes in uh, to, to knock down this uh, rebellion. And so uh, the first to openly rebel against the Antichrist, very cruel, uh, very demonic dictatorial reign uh, is going to come from Africa. It will probably inspire at that point other parts of the world uh, to uh, come forth in rebellion uh, as well. He will move very quickly, very decisively to endeavor to uh, stamp out this uh, insurrection. And then we're told in verse 41 that he will uh, face those forces, he will crush the uh, militaries that come from those nations uh, as they uh, will face one another. Uh, the Antichrist coming down out of Europe from the north, Africa forces coming up from the south. They will meet in the area of the glorious land, in the land uh, of, uh, of Israel, and uh, this, this great battle will take place. It is not Armageddon yet. It's a precursor to it. And we're told that uh, Edom and Moab and Ammon, those are uh, names for uh, ancient names for what we know as Jordan today, 
that they're going to be, uh, they're going to escape his wrath. Uh, we, we know from Revelation chapter 12, Isaiah chapter 16, that at the three and a half year mark of the seven year tribulation, when the Antichrist goes into the temple that he allows the Jews to rebuild, he will sit down in the Holy of Holies, he will declare himself to be God and demand to be worshiped as God. That's the abomination that causes desolation that Jesus speaks about in his Olivet Discourse and then the Jews will realize we have been duped by this guy. And as Jesus declares to the Jews at, that, at the moment that they realize the deception has occurred, uh, to run for their lives. And they will run for their lives into these surrounding uh, areas. And uh, Moab, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 16, uh, the uh, in in uh, verses 1 through 4 would be great for your own individual study, uh, but uh, verses 3 and 4, take counsel, execute judgment, uh, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcast. Do not betray him who escapes. And this is prophesying of the Jews fleeing from Israel at this point in time, fleeing to get anywhere that they can out of the reach of the Antichrist. They will flee into Moab. And, uh, and Isaiah then uh, prophesies, declares to Moab, let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab, be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. Speaking of the Antichrist, in Revelation chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 16, uh, we're uh, told that uh, when this abomination that causes desolation occurs, uh, that uh, he that persecuted uh, the woman, that is the Jews who, uh, uh, the, the Jews speaking of who gave birth to the Messiah, the Jewish nation gave birth to Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, and uh, we're told there that the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And now when the dragon speaking of the devil saw that he had been cast to the earth, he per uh, persecuted the woman who uh, gave birth to the male child, begins to persecute the Jews, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. She's supernaturally, uh, the Jews are uh, supernaturally enabled to flee to this place of refuge where she uh, is nourished for a time, speaking of one and times, speaking of two, so a total of three and half a time from the presence of the serpent, the devil. Uh, the Jewish people who flee to Moab will be protected from the Antichrist's uh, uh, persecution against them for the final three and a half years of the tribulation period. And so the serpent uh, spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman uh, that he might cause her to be carried away uh, by the flood, by this military force that, uh, speaking of a military force that he will send forth the Antichrist will, inspired by the devil to uh, chase down these Jews who are now fleeing from uh, the, the oversight of the Antichrist. He will look because the devil has a, a special uh, desire for the destruction of the Jewish people. He will look to try and destroy them. 
Uh, but we're told there in Revelation 12 that the earth helped the woman and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the flood, speaking of the army which uh, the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And so somehow they're going to be supernaturally protected uh, from the army that will try to destroy them and then for that three and a half uh, years. So this is where I told you that you might get lost <laughs> in, in all of this. But Next time it'll be clear to you. In verse uh, 43, we see that uh, in putting down this uh, attack that is, is led, uh, led by Egypt, uh, that he will invade uh, the African continent as a result. He will plunder uh, on into Egypt. And then in verse 44, at that point in time, he will receive news from the east and from the north that will trouble him. And the news from the north is that some kind of a military force uh, may be emboldened now by this African rebellion uh, to rebel themselves against the, uh, the, the reign of the Antichrist. And so uh, the news from the north could, uh, all the way north of all of that, could very well be uh, Russia and allies. Uh, of Russia, maybe uh, here uh, Gog and Magog sufficiently um, uh, kind of recovered from the massive defeat of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, and uh, which uh, appears to occur seven years earlier than this event. If the Russians are famous for anything in warfare, it is for uh, uh, reintroducing uh, a whole new wave of human beings uh, into their military forces. And so perhaps a reference to Russia coming now uh, to in this moment of vulnerability to rebel against the Antichrist. The news from the East uh, probably speaks of some kind of a, uh, a military force that is going to come out of the Orient, uh, out of Asia, uh, to come against this reign of the Antichrist and probably refers to the 200 million man uh, army that is going to come out of the east uh, of the Euphrates that's described in the Revelation, Revelation chapter 9 verses 13 through uh, 17, uh, and then again in Revelation chapter 16 verse 12. And so these three, uh, these two forces look at it as a, a timely opportunity to rebel against the Antichrist, to overthrow him, one coming from the north, one coming from the east. It is interesting that Time Magazine, as long ago as uh, May 21st, 1965, and uh, that uh, uh, they reported that China was capable of fielding an army of 200 million. It's an interesting number to kind of uh, bring out into a secular publication, even all those decades ago, uh, in, in, uh, in the light of Scripture. And of course, they could field many more uh, uh, even today. At the end of verse uh, 44 there, the Antichrist will be furious over uh, all of this. He will then turn away from his invasion 
uh, of the African continent and, and Egypt uh, with the intention of moving now north again through the land of Israel to meet the forces that are coming from the north and from uh, the east. And as you uh, venture your eyes there into the early part of verse 45, he will set up the tents of his palace, that is his headquarters for this uh, battle that he is waging between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And so he will set up his headquarters to stage this military campaign from uh, between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, somewhere in the vicinity of Jerusalem. And uh, while his military uh, headquarters are located there in the area of Jerusalem, the battle itself will take place uh, in uh, the north in a valley known as the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14 verse 1 speaks to this. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all of the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses uh, rifled, uh, the women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, speaking of the battle of Armageddon, as he fights in the day of battle. And on that day, his feet, that is Jesus' feet, is his second coming, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half toward uh, the south. These three great armies, the Antichrist moving north, and then the armies of, uh, of the north and the east moving south then to meet uh, him. They meet in the land of Israel, in the valley of, of Megiddo, in order to fight against one another. That's what, was, that's what their intention is uh, to do. But while they're staging now to begin to do battle with one another for uh, world supremacy, Jesus returns at his second coming, and uh, their hatred of God is so great, uh, so much greater than their hatred of one another, uh, that they, uh, they pull back from their battle with one another, and then uh, decide that they're going to unite together to fight against Jesus. Not a very good idea. It's not much of a battle, really. Uh, Jesus uh, wipes the entire thing out and with the words from his mouth. I don't know if he looks at the whole thing and goes, oh, brother, or what? I mean, there's be something more sanctified than that. But um, it, isn't, it isn't much of a battle. It's kind of the unbattle, uh, the non-battle of Armageddon uh, in, in, in some uh, respects. And so, uh, and uh, the book of Revelation speaks of this. For those of you who are still taking notes in Revelation chapter 16, uh, verse 16, uh, good to look at verses 12 through 16, but verse 16 speaks to it specifically. And they gathered them together uh, to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And then uh, we're told there in verse 45 that the Antichrist, his, um, he will come to his end. No one will be able to uh, help him uh, at that point. He will be uh, taken captive, both the Antichrist and uh, the false prophet uh, with him. 
and uh, and the devil and uh, as uh, 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 for judgment at that point and second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 going into New Testament reference to all of this and then the lawless one uh, the Antichrist shall be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 21 speaks to it in its uh, most uh, thorough uh, form and then i saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns he had a name written that no one knew except himself and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called uh, the word of god speaking of jesus now as he prepares for his second coming and this battle and the armies in heaven clothed with fine linen white and clean followed him on white horses now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, uh, that with it, it, it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of God Almighty. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And uh, skip down a few verses there. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the throne and against his army and then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image these two were cast alive into the lake of fire uh, 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 burning with brimstone and so uh, satan loses again and this uh, it brings an end to the uh, the antichrist's uh, uh, reign now as we head into uh, chapter 12 here you knew we would get to it uh, sooner or later uh, the, there are uh, the, the prophecies uh, these prophecies of the distant future concerning the jews are, are continued in in all of this the the to divide the chapter the chapter division uh, should have occurred um, at verse 5 in chapter 12 uh, rather than verse 1 because what the next four verses are all a continuation of what we have been uh, uh, talking about here. And at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Again, this is Jewish ground. And uh, so this is Michael standing up on behalf of the Jews during the great tribulation period. It's not the church. And there shall be a time of trouble such as the world has ne uh, as since, uh, uh, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people, the Jews, shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book of life. And so... The Great Tribulation is going to be a time of trouble for the Jewish people. Uh, supremely, that is what it is about. It is a time 
focusing upon the nation of Israel. It will be this uh, three and a half years of the Great Tribulation will be the single worst period in Jewish history. And we're talking about a history who has known great hardship in their uh, history and uh, and uh, 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 the trouble that will uh, that that will come their way at the hands of the antichrist but the, the deception that they will open themselves up to as jesus said to the jewish religious leaders um, uh, uh, i have come in my father's name and you won't accept me another will come in his own name speaking of the antichrist him you will accept and, uh, and so speaking of the deception that would one day uh, occur. And so at this time uh, of, uh, of the end, uh, again, a special relationship to Israel. Uh, through the Antichrist, Satan is going to seek their extermination. Uh, again, other passages in the Bible confirming this. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, speaking of this time as the time of Jacob's trouble. Very much Jewish ground. Uh, Jesus in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 21 and 22. For then there shall be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world and until this time, nor ever shall be. Speaking of, of the great tribulation period, uh, Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, and it shall come to pass in the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds uh, in it, speaking of the Jews, will be cut off and die, but one-third will be left in it. I will bring one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, test them as uh, gold is tested. They shall call on my name. I will answer them. I will say, this is my peace. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. And so according to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, only a third of uh, the Jews in, in the world and in Israel at that time are going to survive uh, this terrible great tribulation uh, again all of it is, is described in the persecution of uh, of the jews by the antichrist but also the seal judgments the trumpet judgments the bold judgments that fill revelation chapter 6 through 19. as michael is described here uh, in his role concerning the jewish people during the tribulation period very specific role uh, he takes he, he operates in his role as an archangel he's one of the archangels and uh, we know that from jude verse 9 and uh, and so whatever portion of the angelic realm that is under his oversight he will be given the specific responsibility of protecting the jews uh, during this, uh, this uh, awful, awful time in their history. Uh, concerning their deliverance, as we're told there in verse 1, despite Satan's effort to uh, exterminate the Jewish people, a godly remnant is going to survive, and, and they will greet Jesus as their Messiah at, at the end of the tribulation uh, period, at Jesus' second uh, uh, coming. 
and uh, that will occur. There will be a huge number of people, the Bible teaches us, both Jew and Gentile, who will come to trust in Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, and as their Messiah during the tribulation period. The light will go on. We have been deceived, and, and many, many will become Christians during uh, that period. In terms of examples of divine protection of uh, Jewish people during the tribulation period, uh, the 144,000 will be uh, sealed during that period as is spoken about in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, there will be those that will flee to, the, to Moab, to the wilderness, the rock city of, uh, of Petra, as uh, is described in the chapters and the verses that I've already referenced. And, uh, uh, and uh, remember, there's also going to be the ministry of these two witnesses uh, uh, that will be uh, speaking uh, for God and for Jesus as the Messiah uh, during uh, the tribulation period until their ministry uh, is over. Uh, there's also going to be the angel, an angel declaring the everlasting gospel to the entire world, the Jewish world as well too, uh, in Revelation chapter 14. So it isn't going to be like people are blind because God wasn't trying to get through to them, especially the Jewish people, during the tribulation period. 144,000 will be endeavoring to draw the Jewish people to a faith in Christ, the two messengers, uh, uh, living witnesses will as well, as well as this angelic being preaching the everlasting uh, gospel. The promise of deliverance uh, that is spoken about here, it doesn't mean that every single Jewish people, uh, a Jewish person who survives the tribulation period in the world is going to be delivered, but those who are written in uh, the, the book, the book of uh, life, that is those who have trusted in Jesus uh, for salvation during the tribulation period. At the second coming of Jesus, not every individual Jew is going to be spiritually prepared uh, for his return. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 33 to 38 makes clear that many Jews will continue in their unbelief concerning Jesus and uh, their rebellion against God, rebellion against Jesus as their Savior, and they will then be separated from the righteous at, at uh, Jesus' second uh, coming. Then notice in verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust uh, of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and uh, everlasting uh, contempt. And, uh, and so these, these, this passage, uh, verse 2, is um, very, very complicated in, in many ways. Uh, there's an awful lot that could be said about it, but my eye is on the clock uh, here in this, and so sufficient to say in, in, in all of this, it communicates three truths very, very clearly. There is going to be a final judgment of every single human being, 
uh, and uh, in, in the future, in human history, the righteous are going to be rewarded with everlasting life and the wicked will be uh, judged with everlasting uh, judgment. The reward of, uh, of the righteous is given to us in verse 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like uh, the stars forever and ever. So this is talking about Jews who will come to know Jesus as uh, their Savior during the tribulation period. They will trust in, uh, in Him. They will face uh, death at the hands of the Antichrist in order to stay true uh, to their commitment to Christ. And... Uh, um, the reward that will come to them is spoken of here uh, glowingly. Uh, they're wise. They're spoken of as wise, number one, because they put their faith in Jesus Christ better late than never, but they do so during the tribulation period. And uh, they then uh, clearly here uh, begin to speak to others about following Jesus as their Messiah and Savior uh, as well. And so here you have this, uh, this encouragement in chapter 3 that even if it requires a martyrdom in order to stand with Christ uh, during the tribulation period, uh, that uh, all of that horror of the, of the great tribulation will be washed away in a moment uh, and replaced with uh, the eternal glory of God and uh, that comes to the righteous and to the wise as they're described in, in verse uh, 3. Now remember, again, those, uh, those Jews and the Gentiles during the great tribulation period, uh, once they realize that the Antichrist is not the Messiah, they will begin to search the Scriptures, including the book of Daniel here, in these chapters, and they, and they will begin to recognize, wow, this is what is happening and unfolding. This is the description of the ruler that would take place, uh, it, it come, come to reign at the end of the age, and, and verse 3 would then stand out to them as an encouragement that, yes, this is as messy as messy can get. Uh, and, and yet, it, it would be a great encouragement to stay faithful, even to the point of death, in, in the midst of that persecution, and that that faithfulness would be uh, richly, uh, richly uh, rewarded. And, and this, this great vision given to Daniel uh, ends there with, with, uh, with verse 3. And, uh, and then the entire vision is, is uh, declared Daniel is called to uh, seal it up in verse 4. But you, Daniel, seal up the words, seal up the book until the time of the end. And there's that phrase again. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall uh, increase. And so Daniel was told that the prophecy, while it might be very enlightening to Daniel, might be very interesting to Daniel, uh, that it would be more fully understood by his people at the end uh, uh, of uh, the time of the end. And so it is. I mean, here we sit in the 21st century, and uh, we read these passages and we understand them way better than Daniel could have ever understood, uh, uh, understood them in his, 
his day. And we see the whole course of events. We see the world being set up for all of this, how it fits in with the prophetic picture that is found elsewhere uh, in the Scriptures. And it is so much clearer to us than it would have been to Daniel. When he talks, uh, the angel of the Lord tells Daniel that uh, there's going to be many running to and fro and knowledge uh, shall increase. Uh, you know, certainly it may refer to the fact that knowledge is going to increase faster and faster as, as the end of the age approaches. They say now, you know, that, that what man knows, what, what, what constitutes our knowledge at, at any given point in time used to take uh, hundreds and hundreds of years to double. And then if you've ever gone online and seen the statistic, I w don't have time to read it to you tonight, but now they're estimating that we're on the cusp now in terms of the developments, the computers, the everything, where now uh, the man's knowledge is going to be doubling uh, in the near future every 12 to 13 hours. I mean, just the sheer amount of knowledge that is, uh, who can keep up with it? I don't care what phone you have. You'll go crazy trying to keep up with it. And then the, the movement uh, of people going to and fro, uh, some of these things, it may, reference to, it may refer to the fact that the increase of knowledge, uh, the, fr uh, the pace of life, and these kind of things, the development of technology is going to increase, that it's going to allow all of these prophecies to be fulfilled. Prophecies like uh, the mark of the beast, giving everyone uh, the, to, uh, a, a mark in order to buy and to sell. Uh, the ability to see the two witnesses one day slain uh, in Jerusalem, the whole world watching that event occur. It, occur. it requires satellites. It requires all of the technology that's required to put Put that on every cell phone and every television set uh, in the world. But probably what all of this refers to, uh, even beyond a cashless society and all of this, is that, uh, that in the last days, that, uh, that, there, the, the, that these prophecies are going to become uh, clearer and clearer uh, to us. There's going to be an active going to and fro through the prophetic scriptures and, and uh, the signs of the times, the condition of the world are going to drive people to the scriptures to understand what's happening uh, in the world. And, and as a result, the knowledge and the understanding of these prophetic scriptures will uh, in, increase. It, it certainly, uh, any attempt to understand these, uh, these prophecies in Daniel's days would, uh, would have been uh, pretty fruitless, but there's very little about these scriptures that we don't understand at this point in, in, uh, in, in world history in the light of, uh, certainly, of New Testament revelation. Notice in verse 5 uh, that uh, we're told that then... I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, apparently angelic beings, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. Remember, Daniel receives this vision uh, as he's standing on uh, the bank of the Tigris uh, River. 
And uh, so he sees these two angelic beings, and then one of these angelic beings said to a man, who was apparently a third angel, who was clothed in linen, uh, who was above the waters of the, ri- of the river, hovering in between uh, the two angels. And one of the angels poses this question, how long shall the fulfillment uh, of these wonders uh, be? And so that's the question uh, that gets asked. How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? The question that the angel is posing here is not, how long will it be before these things take place? That's not what he's asking. What he's asking is, how long will they continue uh, when they begin to occur? And the answer is then given in verse 7, and then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and swore uh, that it shall be for a time, one times, plural, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be uh, finished. So this angel raises both hands in an oath to God, indicating that what he's going to say is true before God, and, uh, and that the horrors associated with this Antichrist and, and the great tribulation is going to last for a time. A time is one, times is two. So you, get, you have a total of three and half a time. That's a, half, uh, that's a bad knuckle. So three and a half, uh, referring to three and a half years, uh, is the, the, the length of, uh, of this great tribulation referring to the second half of, of the tribulation period, which is a, a total of, of uh, seven uh, years and so at that particular point in time uh, the Antichrist will completely as, as the angel declares there the Jewish power will be completely shattered they will be completely vulnerable at that point and uh, and and utterly defeated by her uh, enemies and then um, and then it, all of this will be brought to an end by Jesus' second coming. Remember that stone not cut with hands in Daniel chapter 2, bringing down the image that represented uh, all of man's world-ruling empires and, uh, and bringing an end to all of it, Jesus' second coming, and then the establishment of uh, the kingdom age in the world. And then uh, in verse 8, Daniel uh, poses his own question. Although I heard, I didn't understand. He's trying to understand this conversation between these angelic beings. And then I said, my Lord, what shall be uh, the end of uh, these things. And so he didn't understand the prophecy. He wants to understand the prophecy. He is a student of prophecy. Remember, he was studying uh, Jeremiah's prophecies. And so he didn't have the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. He doesn't have the book uh, of Second Thessalonians. He doesn't have the book of Revelation as, as we do. So he's, he's at a, a loss here to understand. The response of the angel is given there in verse 9. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of uh, the end. And so 
Daniel was informed that the revelation uh, was uh, given to him, but it will not be completely understood until the time of the end, and uh, thus its primary purpose was to inform not Daniel or the Jewish people in Daniel's age, but to inform the Jewish people who would be alive at the end of the age, who God knew would need this insight and this perspective in the light of these uh, events that will wrap up uh, human history as, as we know it. And then many shall be purified, the angel goes on to tell Daniel, uh, made white and refined, but the wicked shall uh, do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And so, um, while uh, Daniel couldn't understand every detail of this, uh, the, the angel tells him uh, that at the time of the end, uh, all of this whole thing, this horror of all of this with the Antichrist is going to accomplish two great things uh, 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 in the world, but specifically among the Jewish people. First, it will result in the purification of, of the saints, and, and second, it will manifest the, tr- the true character of, uh, of the wickedness of of the human heart. And so, uh, even at the end of time, these uh, prophecies won't be understood. They won't be understood by the wicked during the tribulation period, but only by uh, the wise who then uh, are born again and then turn to these scriptures for, uh, for clarity and for perspective. And, and it's uh, interesting, I think, and certainly very, very demonic that uh, here we live in this world that has such a great curiosity about the future, don't they? And uh, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen in human history? What's going to happen at the end of the age? And, and yet the whole world lives by and large as if this, this book that is filled with prophecy that's being fulfilled before our eyes every single day and every single week uh, doesn't exist uh, at all. All of these amazing prophecies and yet uh, they, they respond to it with a collective yawn and and it is a, a demonic stupor that's upon the world uh, that is behind uh, all of it. Notice in verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up there at the three and a half year mark of, of the tribulation period where the Antichrist goes in and declares himself to be God and demands to be worshipped as God, the halfway point of the tribulation, there shall be 1,200 and 90 days. And so uh, here we're given the uh, date of Jesus' second coming. It'll be 1,290 days from the time uh, of the abomination uh, of, of desolation. So uh, the day at the midpoint of that seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist will go in there. He will do that abomination that causes desolation. And then from that day, anybody that's present in the world at that time uh, can start marking their calendar. And on the 1,290th day will be uh, Jesus' second coming. And it's one of the reasons that I don't believe that the, the, the rapture of the church and the second coming occur at the same, uh, in the same, virtually the same event or at, at, at the same time. Because for the three and a half years, or the final three and a half years of the, the tribulation period, 
If the rapture occurs at the time of the second coming, then we will know the day of the rapture. We, know, we, we, we will know it will be 1,290 days after the abomination that causes desolation. And yet the rapture is always presented in the scriptures as an imminent event and one in which we do not know the day or the hour. There has to be some separation between uh, those, those two uh, events. They cannot occur uh, at, at the same time. Otherwise, we would know for that three and a half year period the time of the rapture. And, uh, and, uh, and so in, in verse 12 here, uh, he goes on to say, Blessed is he who uh, waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So Jesus returns at 1,290 days following the abomination that causes desolation. And then it is at 1,335 days apparently that the kingdom age uh, starts and so there's this extra 45 days uh, it's interesting nobody really knows what it is uh, but all we're told is that he who waits is blessed I know what it is but that tape pack will cost you five thousand dollars and so it, it it may refer to the fact that uh, prior to the establishing of the kingdom age that uh, because of uh, the, the massive massacre related to the, to the uh, Battle of Armageddon, that the, 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 the world uh, needs to be cleansed, the land of Israel needs to be cleansed following it. Uh, the temple, of course, will have been defiled by the Antichrist. It will need to be demolished as well uh, for true worship to be established then during the kingdom age. And then there will also, as Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 25, there's going to be the separating between the sheep and the goats. And the sheep representing the righteous, talking about survivors of the tribulation period. And uh, the righteous, the goats, will represent the wicked, those that took the mark of the beast. They side with the Antichrist and supported him in his persecution of the Jews and in his, his unrighteous uh, reign. And uh, I'm inclined to hold the view that, that this 45-day period is, is a day in which uh, the surviving population of the world of, from the Great Tribulation is judged. And, and a separation occurs between uh, the, the, the sheep and uh, the goats. Again, Daniel is informed here in verse 13 that the world will not completely understand these, uh, that, that he's not going to understand these, these additional revelations. But you, you go your way uh, till the end, for you shall rest and will arise uh, to your inheritance at the end of the day. Uh, Daniel, uh, leave it with the Lord, uh, you're going to die uh, long before any of these prophecies come to pass. And uh, one day it's all going to come to pass and you will partake in the inheritance of the saints and uh, the inheritance of, of one who has uh, ser uh, served the Lord well. And so you, the, what the prophetic revelation uh, from God that we detailed last week in Daniel chapter 11, what that meant to those generations of Jews that lived during the 130 years of those six Syrian wars between the Seleucids and the uh, Ptolemies, uh, this passage that we've looked at tonight will mean the same thing to them from chapter 11, verse 36, all the way to the end of the book. 
to the Jews who find themselves in the great tribulation period and in the horror of it and wondering how to make rhyme a reason of it. And these things that we've looked at tonight will bring perspective to them to their part uh, to, uh, of Jewish history at the end of the age. And so we finish the book of Daniel here uh, tonight. Amazing to think. I mean, here we begin all the way back, Daniel purposing in his heart that he would not be defiled. And on into the great image of chapter 2 and the lion's den and, and the fiery furnace and the, the, the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar and, and then finally in the chapter 7 through 12 speaking of, of all of these prophecies that speak to the fact and the reminder that, that God really is in charge of, of human history and He is moving it toward His uh, God-appointed end. And the important thing, the peace that it brings us as Christians to know that we are on the right side of that history and the right side of, of the end of human history. And if you sit here tonight and you are not yet a Christian, I know I have confused you more than uh, even I can understand. Uh, but the big lesson for you is to get on the right side of God. And that is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And uh, awful, awful things are coming in, in the future of the world as the world grows more and more bold in its rebellion against God, rebellion against His Son. There must be a price that is paid for that. And it must be brought uh, to a, a strong and decisive end. And you want to be on the right side of things when that happens. We'll be up in front immediately after the service, and we'd love to pray with you to trust in Christ tonight if you have never done so before. We'd love to pray with any of you tonight uh, concerning anything that is going on uh, in your life, uh, quite independent of the end of human history, what might be happening in your life this evening. Let's stand together and let's close in prayer.